You guys can have a seat. Uh, if you're here for the first time, we're, we're so glad you're here with us. Uh, we pray that our church would be a place where people would be able to find deep friendship, a deep uh, a community of deep friendship. Uh, and so we pray that you'll get plugged in and, and uh, just... We're so glad you're here. You know, today we're going to be in John 11. We're actually skipping over John 10 um, because on March 6th, we're going to come back to it. Uh, one of my good friends, our church planner, he's coming down to preach and we're going to have a college luncheon uh, talking about how college students can really leverage their life both in college and after college. And so that'll be on March 6th. Uh, but today we're in John 11 where Jesus raises a man named Lazarus from the dead. And just as a quick note, this is the seventh and last sign uh, that shows Jesus as the Messiah before his death and resurrection, which puts us full speed ahead to the cross and the resurrection to prepare us for Easter. And before we jump into John 11, I want you to imagine with me um, that you step onto your first day of basketball practice and you're just ready to hoop, okay? Uh, you're ready to show off your new skills. Uh, you've got a crossover. You've got a little step back jump shot. Uh, you've improved your range so you can shoot the three. Um, and you're excited and you're ready to go. Um, you've got your new shoes, your headband, and you, you're just ready to ball, okay? And your coach blows the whistle and yells, on the line. And in that moment, you realize, okay, he's not playing around. Uh, and then as you stand there on the line, he says to you, games are won and lost in the fourth quarter. The last two minutes of the game, right? I don't care how good you can shoot in the first quarter. If you can't shoot in the fourth quarter, it doesn't matter. And he says, we're going to be a fourth quarter team that finishes the game strong by being well conditioned, which means, as one of my coaches used to say, uh, today we're going into the pain cave. And in that moment, he says, uh, we're going to do suicides and run until we can't run anymore. Uh, and we're going to go into the circle of pain, like no pain, no gain. So New City Church today, uh, I am your coach blowing the whistle, telling you we're about to enter into the pain cave. Um, you know, I want you to think of today like we're standing on top of a mountain, looking down into a deep valley, and at the bottom of the valley is the deep valley of pain. It's that pain cave. And in that pain cave, in the valley of pain, is a special fuel that is found that will strengthen us to then climb the next mountain. It's the fuel that's needed to finish the game strong. But in order to get that special fuel in the pain cave, we do, in fact, have to go through the valley of pain. Again, no pain, no gain. No pain, no progress. And as, they, as we go through John 11 today, it will, in, it will be, a, in fact, a journey into the pain cave, but not physical pain. No, it's something much harder. It's a picture into heart and soul pain. And y'all, you know, I get it. Uh, facing heart and soul pain, it's not fun. Just like running suicides until you can't run anymore, uh, it is also not fun. But if we bypass this pain cave in the valley of pain, We'll miss those rare things that God wants to give us to grow us and make us more like himself. And so today, just as a forewarning, it's a little bit of a heavier sermon, uh, but I think it will be really good for us as a church. Like we need passages like John 11 because this is real life. You know, I said several weeks ago when we celebrated two years as a church uh, that the mountaintop moments... They help us to see and celebrate. They're good for us. They remind us of God's faithfulness. They help us to see God's goodness. They instill hope and courage. And they lead us into the mission of God. And yes, we need those mountaintop moments in our life. But like I said, on that same day, it's often in these valleys 
where God grows us. And these valleys of life that are often filled with sorrow and disappointment and sadness and maybe even doubt, those are the hard moments in life where God deepens our well, where he tends our soil and he, and he grows our faith. But do you know what I know? It's not fun. <laughs> but that is where growth and endurance is built. So this is, tr- this is true for most things in life. Growth requires some sort of pain. In finances, if we want to grow wealth, you have to sacrifice and say no to things and save and invest. If you want to improve your health, you have to go through the pain of saying no to things and creating new healthy habits. If you want to be more productive, you have to grow in the pain of discipline. If you want to grow in your love for others, you have to grow in the pain of denying yourself. This is just generally true about life, and it's also true in the Christian life. And one of the greater losses of our culture and in our world is that when people don't deal with pain, like grief and sadness and hurt and fear and shame and anger and guilt and all the things and emotions and feelings that come in those deep pain cave moments that are hard, if we just bottle them up and shove them in a closet and don't deal with these things because they're not fun and painful, we'll miss that special fuel that God wants to give us. Because for whatever reason, the way in which God grows us and strengthens us is through challenge and difficulty. If you want to grow as a person, as a leader, a Christian, or in just about anything, we have to experience difficulty. And just to be vulnerable with you for a second, you know, about 15 months ago, I was at a pretty low point. Things were just really hard. And I called one of my good friends. He was a pastor at a small church up in Pittsburgh, and we were talking. And as we were talking, he said, you know, I don't typically uh, recommend my sermons to people because, well, it seems kind of prideful. Uh, but he told me, I do believe I would be disobedient to the Spirit if I didn't tell you I think it could be good for you to listen to it. Because he too had wrestled through some hard things that incited grief and sadness and pain and hurt. And as I listened to my good friend's sermon at his small church in rural Pittsburgh, I was literally lying on the floor, broken and in tears, because the words that God gave him were like, were like balm for my weary soul. And the text that he preached out of was John 11, which is our text for today. You know, several weeks ago, we had the theme of war talking about going into battle against darkness. And y'all, I love those sermons, the charge the hill, uh, punch the devil in the nose sermons. But as we also know, not all of life is about charging the hill, going to war and enjoying the mountaintops because life also comes with grief and hurt and pain. And like we said two weeks ago, Jesus is not only the commander of the army, but he's also the medic. And today's the day for us to sit at the medic's table and find healing for our weary souls. And if you came in today and you wouldn't describe your current state as sorrowful or weary or sad or lonely or in any sort of broken state, I want to say praise God for that. And if that's you, let today be a way to prepare you for any pain that will come because it will come. And also as a way to better help other brothers and sisters who are in deep pain. I know one of the things that I believe God has made very clear Uh, to me, you know, over the past 15 months is that we, New City Church, are to be a broken church for broken people, that we are to be a church as a collective body that is really comfortable with the brokenness in our lives and in the the lives of those around us. 
And that it's okay to be sad or to feel lonely or angry or fearful because God made us with deep emotions. We are emotional beings. And as we'll see today, Jesus, he too, he had deep emotions. He, Jesus also experienced sadness and anger. While yet at the same time, we'll also see that God doesn't leave us there. And while we're there in our brokenness, that is often where God's power is put on full display, which leads us to our main idea. Jesus displays his resurrecting power through pain. In essence, God's means to grow us is to empty us of ourselves to then fill us back up with himself. And so today we're going to walk through the story. I'm going to tell some and read some of the story. And along the way, we're going to see three different movements. Okay, the problem, the pain, and God's resurrecting power. And like I said at the beginning, I want you to think of this story like we're going down a mountain and, des- and descending into a deep, dark valley of pain. We're going to go into the pain cave, okay? But we won't stay there because while we're there, we are going to find that special fuel that will help us climb up the next mountain. So maybe picture this story of somewhat of a U-shape. And we're going to descend to the bottom of the U, and then we're going to come back up the other side. So I said, let's start descending into the valley of pain. Look, look at chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, Uh, He said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So a few quick things here. We see here that there are two sisters, Mary and Martha, and their brother Lazarus. He was sick. And the author, John, he shows us Jesus loves Lazarus, and he also loves uh, these two sisters. The word love that Mary and Martha used in verse 3 to describe Jesus' love for Lazarus, it was a friendship type of love, almost like saying to your your good friend whom you love is sick. But down in verse 5, we see a different type of love. We see that Jesus had an agape love for Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. It was the highest, fullest, most unstoppable type of love. It was like a radical, divine love, seeing that Jesus deeply cared for them and he loved them. And these two sisters go up to Jesus and say, our brother is sick. And Jesus assures them and tells them this sickness will not lead to death. In fact, God will be glorified through it. Which coming from a guy who's done some pretty impressive miracles, it seems like a pretty good promise. But let's keep reading. Look at verses 6 and 7. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. So Jesus, who has a divine, unstoppable love for Lazarus, who has the power to heal him at a moment's notice, we would think with that divine, unstoppable love, he would rush onto the scene and do whatever he could to heal him immediately. That's not what he did. Rather, with this full and unstoppable love, when when he heard Lazarus was ill, he waited He delayed two days, which shows us that divine, unstoppable love, it doesn't always express itself the way that we would often think. Jesus made them wait and allowed them to go through something because he loved them. 
because Jesus knows of those rare findings that can only be found in the valley of pain. Jesus knows that the roots of faith and love grow deeper in the soil of hardship. And as parents, I think we can get this. Because sometimes the most loving thing to do for a child is to take the training wheels off the bike, even if they fall and scrape their knee. And if we always run to protect and rescue our children from every hard situation, we're robbing them from opportunities to grow. So Jesus in this moment didn't run to rescue. No, he lovingly waited. And then if we're to keep reading the next few verses, we'd see the disciples say, hey, I don't think it's a good idea to go to Judea again. Like, Jesus, you don't have the greatest reputation in Judea. Uh, they're actually trying to stone you there. And Jesus is like, yeah, hey, it'll be fine. And Jesus says in verse 11, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. I'm going to go wake him up. And Jesus' disciples were like, well, if he's asleep, he'll be fine. Let him sleep. He needs the rest. But when Jesus said he had fallen asleep, he was using a common cultural way to say, actually, he died, but they missed that. Look, look down starting in verse 13. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin said to his fellow disciples, let us go that we may die with him. And I find verse 16 very interesting where we see Thomas, also known as Doubting Thomas, say to the other disciples, let us go with Jesus to Judea uh, that we may die with him. And I've read several different inter interpretations for this. Uh, some have commended Thomas's faith as if he were ready to follow, follow Jesus to his death, uh, and that's possibly true. But what I think might be happening here is that Doubting Thomas, who is known to be a realist, is looking at the situation at face value and somewhat humorously says to the other disciples, well, I guess it's time for us to go die now. Like uh, Jesus wants to go to Judea uh, where he has the death warrant out for his life. I guess it's time for us to go as well. Rest in peace, my brothers. Uh, it was nice knowing you. And y'all, I, I don't know for sure what's right, uh, but here we see our first point. Number one, the problem. Again, think of this like we're descending down a mountain and we're picking up speed like a ball going down a mountain. And the problem at hand here is that their good friend that they deeply loved was sick. Like he was deathly sick. And come to find out later, it says he died. And Jesus wanted to go see him, but he would need to go to a place where he was hated to see him. But seeing Jesus' deep love for Lazarus, he went anyways. And look at verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus was already been in the tomb four days. Lazarus was dead. Like, that's the problem. Lazarus died. And I want you to think back because Jesus said that his illness would not lead to death. And here we see that he died. So not only did their good friend die, but it also seems like Jesus lied. It's kind of like Houston. Uh, I think we have a problem now, I don't know if you've ever lost someone you love, but the pain in this, it is deep pain. There is incredible grief here because when we experience loss of any sort, it hurts. It comes with disappointment. It creates a void, maybe a sense of loneliness. That's the pain cave we're heading towards on our journey down this mountain. But before we get to the pain, we need to recognize the problems that lead to the pain. Maybe you haven't experienced a loss through death, uh, but maybe you've lost a friend or someone you love. 
Or maybe you've lost something that you've loved. And whatever that thing was, whether it be a job or a connection uh, or community or a marriage or maybe some unmet expectations or a missed opportunity or a loss of money or maybe life just changed. Maybe through graduating or babies or kids or moving or retirement or injury. Whatever it is, there's a sense of loss and that loss for today's purposes is the problem. The problem in the story was that their good friend Lazarus died. And we know that every single person on the planet has experienced some sort of problem or some sort of loss. And maybe as I went through that list, today you are very aware of a pressing problem or loss in your life. And there's something glaring in your life that is very clear that you're dealing with or that you've gone through. But I also know that deep down inside of each of us, we also have problems and losses from our past that never healed. Maybe as a child, a friend or a parent or sibling said something to you or did something to you, maybe repeatedly, that still today is greatly affecting you. Maybe as a teenager, a boyfriend or girlfriend did something or said something to you that deeply hurt you and wounded you. Maybe as an adult, maybe your spouse or friend or family member or coworker hurt you in some way. Or what I bet is more likely the case, it might possibly be an all of the above reality for most of us. And y'all, these wounds and hurts and losses, they affect us today more than we often realize. My wounds. My past hurts affect me, they affect my wife, my kids, my friends, my family, how I pastor you. They affect us all in big ways and in small ways. And I'm not saying this to be a Debbie Downer, I'm saying this because it's reality. And we can say this with confidence, knowing that things happen in each of our lives because our world is broken. We live in a Genesis 3 world. We live in a world that is not supposed to be this way, but yet it is which innately speaks to every human heart that this world is not our home. And on top of that, you know what often happens? When when these things happen, we often question God. I mean, think about this story. Jesus said this illness would not lead to death, and then he died. I mean, is Jesus a liar or what? Because as the the reader, up to this point in the story, it would certainly seem that way. Like maybe Jesus can't be trusted. Like God made a promise that his illness would not lead to death. And then he died, seeming as if Jesus is not a promise keeper, but rather a promise breaker. And just maybe you've been there before. Maybe Thinking, God, I thought I was walking in obedience, but every door I try to walk through keeps shutting. God, why? God, you led me here, but why is it so hard? Maybe wondering, God, are you even good? God, are you even in control? Like your word says you're good and sovereign, but right now it sure does seem like that's not true. And to all of this, I want to point out that in this story, Jesus did keep his word. He did keep his promise because we'll see later that he brought Lazarus back to life and his illness did not kill him. May we remember that God sees all and knows all and that he is good and in control even when we can't see all that he is doing. 
Just because we don't understand uh, and see it at times doesn't mean he's not good and sovereign because God, y'all, he is doing a million different things in each of our lives simultaneously at the same time. He sees the future. He knows our hearts and our tendencies, and he always allows and gives to us what is best for us. And as we've seen, y'all, that is really hard. And that Jesus' agape love, his deep, relentless, unstoppable love for us, it often manifests itself in waiting or silence. And it's hard. But yet again, because, uh, but yet in the soil of waiting and silence are roots of faith and love, they stretch and grow. And to that, I want to say to you, if you're in that season, maybe of waiting or silence, and it feels painful, I can say to you with incredible confidence because of what the Bible shows us over and over and over again, that God is growing you. That God is deepening your well, and he is strengthening your roots. The pain you experience now is preparing you and strengthening you for the days ahead. He's making you more like himself. So all that to say, in this first point, we've seen the problem. Lazarus is dead. And at this point in the story, Lazarus has been dead in the tomb for four days. And if you can't tell, we've begun descending into the valley of pain. Like we're at the beginning of the valley. Uh, but be warned, we haven't yet made it into the cave. And, and y'all, this is when we're in the valley. And we see the cave ahead of us. And we have that freak out moment, you know. Uh, when we're like, okay, I don't want to go into that cave. Like that, that, that cave, it's dark, it's scary. Like I don't want to go into the pain cave. Like can't we turn around and go back? I think I'm done. Like I, I'm good. Because y'all, deep emotions, they can be scary. But this is when we take a, a, a deep breath and our good friend Jesus comes alongside of us and says to us, it's time to step into the cave because in that cave, there is a special fuel that will lead you to more full life. And he says to us, I've been there myself. I know what it's like. I've been there. And we take a deep breath and say, okay, let's go. So let's start reading as we step into the cave. Look, starting at verse 18. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. So in the first point, we saw the problem. And here we see our second point that follows the problem. Number two, the pain. So Lazarus's two sisters, Mary and Martha, right, rightfully so, were grieving their brother's death. And in verse 19, it says that many of the Jews were there consoling them. They needed comfort, like they were grieving the loss of their brother. They were in deep pain. And when Jesus came into town, Martha went to find Jesus and said, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. It's almost like she's upset with Jesus because she knows he could have done something for Lazarus, whom he said he loved, but he didn't do anything. This seems like one of those moments of questioning God, like, God, if you're good and powerful, why, did, why didn't you do something about this? Look what Jesus said back to her in verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. So when Martha stepped into the pain cave, Jesus handed her a piece of special fuel. And he handed her the fuel of hope. 
He gave her his reliable word in her pain and grief. He spoke truth to her. Let's, let's look at the truth he spoke to her. Look starting in verse 24. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. So Martha had a confidence that her brother Lazarus would rise again on the last day when all was said and done. Like She was thinking end times things here. Not, she wasn't thinking about a present, current day resurrection. And Jesus affirms her belief, saying that those who believe in Jesus, they will be resurrected. They will have life. Whoever believes in Jesus, he says, they will have eternal life. It was true then, and y'all, this is also true for us today. Hear this, okay? Our first fuel of hope in the valley of our pain is found through trusting in Jesus for our eternal salvation. That's the first fuel of hope. If you're here today and you have not put your faith in Jesus, your first and most important layer of hope that is offered to us is first in Jesus Christ for salvation. When we believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross and rose from the dead and takes away our sin, we have, we have an always and forever hope. Listen to me. When we trust in Jesus, no matter the hardship, no matter the pain, we always always have a reason to rejoice. We can say, as Paul said, rejoice always. We can say we're sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Because in the end, we do have a sure and steady promise of hope that cannot be taken from us. And this comes with our salvation. And so as we're down here in this deep valley of pain, the fuel of hope that will lead us out of the valley, that will first lead us out, that we find in the pain cave, is to first remember the joy of our salvation. To regularly look ahead and remember what is to come. To know and remember that in the last day, there will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more sadness or grief or loneliness or tears. And to that, and that yes, like we may experience deep pain now, but without a doubt, the fuel and hope we need in those dark moments is first and foremost the joy of our everlasting hope that is to come. And this is what Martha held on to as she talked to Jesus in her valley of pain. She found hope in her grief by remembering the joy and hope that is to come. And so if you're not a Christian here today, take the hope of Jesus today. It is a free gift Trust in Jesus today. Follow him with your life because Jesus, he has eternal hope to offer to you in the midst of deep pain. So again, we're in this deep valley of pain, but we're finding fuel for our next mountain. So Martha found her first piece of fuel, but look what happens next with Mary. Look at verse 28. When she, that being Martha, had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
So this scene here has moved from Martha to Mary. And just like Martha was troubled by Jesus not healing Lazarus, we see here that Mary was also troubled by the exact same thought. Like Mary said the exact same thing as Martha, like word for word. Mary said at the end of verse 32, just like Martha said in verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Thinking, just like Martha, God, why did you let this happen? Jesus, why did you not stop this? Jesus, you could have done something, but you didn't. Again, maybe you've felt this or thought this. I know I have. Again, being really vulnerable here. You know, this past summer, I wrestled with this. You know, with a church as young as ours, I never would have imagined officiating a funeral before a, wed- a wedding. Never would I have imagined having lunch after lunch with a man who is so hungry and eager to invest so heavily into the mission of God, wanting to leverage everything in his life to be used by the Lord, seeing his zeal and passion for all that God was doing through our church, to then, within a six-week period, to be praying over him on his deathbed, watching him take his last breath at Tampa General. Yet again, I was in that pain cave. Asking God, what are you doing? Why, Lord? Why? And I wouldn't be surprised if each of you have similar stories. Mary asked that question. Martha asked that question. David in the Psalms many times asked that question. We all at times ask the question, why, Lord? Why are you doing this? And in Mary's questioning, she was grieving. It says she was weeping. But in this interaction with Mary and Jesus, I want you to notice something beautiful. It's another one of those special pieces of fuel that is found in the pain cave. Because Jesus, who is all-knowing, fully knowing that she is going to question him as soon as she sees him, in spite of that, Jesus still pursued her. Jesus called for her to come to him. Jesus didn't ignore her. He didn't didn't send someone else to deal with her. He didn't stay distant from her. No, he sent Mary to come to him. In Mary's grief and questioning, again, Jesus did not push her away. No, he said to her, come to me. Come to be with me. He said, "Come, come to me in your mess. Come to me in your questions. Come to me in your weeping. He called out to Mary, and she went, and she went to be with her Lord in her grief and in her sadness. She went to be with Jesus in her sorrow and in her questions. She could have stayed away from him in her confusion and questions. She could have given him the cold shoulder and rejected Jesus, thinking she had been lied to. But no, she brought her concern raw and real directly to Jesus. And Jesus, knowing, she would bring, knowing that she would bring it to him, called for her and told her to come to him. New City Church, this is beautiful. This is good news. This is more hope in the valley of our pain. When we're hurting, confused, questioning God, mad at God, in our weeping and mess, Jesus says to us, come to me. The fuel of hope that we find here in the pain cave is that Jesus pursues us in our pain. Jesus is always with us, even in our grief and sadness. 
Jesus calls for us to come to him and to bring our burdens and sorrows and questions to him. And when we come to him, he doesn't ask us to clean up our prayers to him. He doesn't ask us to stop crying and to straighten up before we come to him. No, in the valley of our pain, in our pain cave, Jesus simply calls for us to come to him just as we are. And when we come to Jesus with our questions and confusion and grief and anger, look what it says next, starting in verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And then we see the shortest verse in the entire Bible, verse 35, Jesus wept. Jesus called Mary to him, and when she came to him in her questions and confusion and raw pain and sorrow, weeping before Jesus, what did Jesus do? It says he was deeply moved in his spirit. It's like a, it reads, like when you look, look at the translation, it reads like a deep gasp. It says he was greatly troubled, but the proper word here is actually Jesus was angered, which seems odd coming from Jesus. But Jesus models for us the proper direction of anger because he was angry but did not sin because his anger here, it showed his deep concern. It showed that he truly cared. You know, Chip Dodd in his book, The Voice of the Heart, has been really helpful for me on this. And if you're wrestling with your emotions with hurt or sadness or anger or shame or loneliness or guilt or fear, I do want to recommend this book for you, The Voice of the Heart. But in his book, he says that healthy anger, it is a caring emotion. Yes, it absolutely expresses itself in unhealthy ways that we unfortunately have all seen and experienced. But he points out that pure and healthy anger that we see with Jesus, it creates movement towards the desires and cares of life. And Jesus, who embodies this fully, showed he cared deeply through his healthy anger. He was deeply troubled and he asked Lazarus, he asked where Lazarus was, and then it says he simply wept. He gently cried. It reads like tears were slowly coming down his face. And notice what Jesus did not do. When he came to him with her, uh, when, when she came with her deep emotions and her sadness and questions, Jesus did not shun her and say, Oh, you of little faith, if you had enough faith, I would have healed him. Jesus did not uh, reprimand her and say, stop crying, get your act together, and move on with your life. Jesus did not say, I don't have time for you. Jesus did not say, I need to hurry you along because we have ministry to do and your emotions are crippling you and they're hindering me. No, what did Jesus do? He was simply moved to tears and he simply cried. Jesus' heart was deeply Moved, His soul ached for Mary. He was deeply troubled for Mary. Jesus met her in the deep valley of her pain and simply cried with her. He was present with her. He embodied what it means for us to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. Jesus, he too experienced deep pain with Mary in the pain cave. So two quick things here I want to point out about Mary and Martha. As we leave the pain cave... And journey and run back up the mountain. Uh, it's coming. Okay, joy is coming. But first, I want to take note here that Jesus responded in two different ways to two different people who asked the exact same question. To Martha, he responded with truth. 
But to Mary, he responded with tears and empathy. And Jesus, being the perfect counselor and friend, knew them both well and knew that Martha in her moment needed truth and Mary in her moment needed empathy, which tells us that we need, uh, we need and need to give both truth and empathy at different times and in different ways. And we need the Spirit's help and wisdom to know when each is needed because we're not Jesus. But then secondly, I want to point out that Mary and Martha's pain was not the problem. Their emotion was not the problem. The brokenness of the world and the brother that they loved that died, that was the problem. Their pain and their emotions was their human response to the problem. You know, we often, uh, we often think that our emotions are problematic, like there's something wrong with us because of our emotions, but our emotions are not the problem. Our emotions are like the check engine light that remind us that the world is broken, that life is not supposed to be this way. And our world has taught us that we need to be stoic and to ignore our emotions. But let me tell you very plainly today, our emotions are not the problem. When we hide our emotions and bottle them up and ignore them, that creates more problems. And instead of working through our emotions and feelings and wrestling with the pain in the pain cave uh, to find that those special gifts that come there, we often think that many of our emotions are problematic and in response we suppress them and redirect and ignore with things like work or school or success or addictions or sports or fill in the blank. But as we've seen, there are special gifts that can be fully realized in the pain cave as we wrestle with those emotions. But New City, I want to remind you today that yes, this pain cave, it is dark and hard, but may we not lose sight that God does not keep us there. That on the other side of this cave, there is immense joy, like joy is coming. And in verse 35, Jesus, he was just weeping in the valley of pain, but let's keep reading to see our ascension out of the valley. Look at verse 36. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. And some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So in verse 35, Jesus was moved to tears in the pain cave. In verse 33, we saw that Jesus was angered. He was deeply troubled. And his good and righteous anger, it moved him to action to display, number three, God's resurrecting power. So Jesus, being deeply moved by the interaction with Mary and Martha, moved him to cry out to God to display his power. And he cried out, looking at the tomb, Lazarus, come out. 
And Lazarus, wrapped up like a corpse, he came, comes walking out of the grave, and Jesus said to him, unbind him, let him go. You see, church, listen. Jesus entered into the pain cave. He was deeply moved, led out of his emotions that he did not ignore, that he did not bottle up. No, Jesus used his deep emotions for God's glory that moved him to display God's resurrecting power. Because listen, just like we saw in this story, at the heart of the gospel is the problem of death. Everything in this story, it points us to the gospel because in the gospel, there's a crucifying cross that killed Jesus on Good Friday to then be followed by deep sadness and grief that his disciples likely experienced that following Saturday, that Saturday that we rarely talk about that comes with much grief, but then New City on Sunday. Jesus got up and like Lazarus, he walked out of the grave. Jesus left the tomb, and the tomb was empty. But Jesus wasn't the one unbound, but rather us. We were unbound by those, those who trust in Jesus. But the difference between Jesus and Lazarus was that it was Jesus' power that resurrected both of them. Lazarus had no power. He was completely dependent on the grace of God to resurrect him. Resurrection Sunday was not only followed by the problem of the Friday crucifixion, but like I said, it was also followed by the hurt and pain and weeping and grief of Saturday because who they thought was their Savior had died. The disciples on Saturday walked down into the deep valley of pain, experiencing great loss. But on the backside of the loss uh, on Sunday, Jesus came bursting out of the grave. Again, at the heart of the gospel is death, but after death comes resurrection, and resurrection only happens by the grace and power of God. The gospel tells us that in order to find full life, we have to first die. In order to gain our life, we have to first lose it, that we have to put to death our old life in order to, to gain new life. This is the hope of the gospel that we hold on to. At the heart of the gospel is death and pain, but it's followed by resurrecting hope. And we, may we not be fooled into thinking that God can also take our grief and give us his joy. Because New City, he absolutely can. Listen to me. God may not take away our problems in this life, but he is certainly able to resurrect our heart and soul. He invites us to come to him and be healed. And as we read in Psalm 30, we know that joy comes in the morning. Jesus wants us to come to him so we can turn our mourning into dancing. God's word tells us in Psalm 30 that he removes our clothes of grief and mourning and loss, and he clothes us with his gladness. And it's not some fake happiness. No, gospel joy is joy that comes from another world, but it starts by simply sitting with Jesus in our pain. This is our gospel hope. And what I also know is that the incredible joy found in the resurrection, that scene in joyous dancing, it does have to first go through the deep valley of pain. And if we bypass the valley of pain by building a bridge with something like food or drugs or exercise or people-pleasing or lustful actions or hard work or intelligence or discipline or religions or fill in the blank, we'll miss the beauty and strength that is found in the valley of our pain. Joy in our sorrow is found by sitting and being loved deeply by Jesus as we weep in our grief. 
And then slowly, over time, God's perfect timing, in his perfect timing, God resurrects our souls. And joy and hope comes in the morning. Listen to me. If you're at the bottom of the pit, I want you to hear me today. God does not desire to leave you there. And that while you're there at the bottom of the pit in that pain cave, Jesus is calling you to grow deeper into your eternal hope that is to come. Jesus is calling you right now to not just mentally know that he is pursuing you, but he wants you to experience the depths of his pursuing love that is realized in your pain. Because hear me, I know this is hard, but it's true. The fullness of God's love is realized in the depths of our pain. Jesus' full emotion, his agape love, his relentless love for Lazarus and Mary and Martha in this story was fully seen in their pain and in Jesus' pain. Jesus' divine, unstoppable love was fully seen, known, and experienced in the deep valley of pain. And again, in the valley of your pain, Jesus is calling you to see his relentless, unhindered love, his divine love that he has for you that fills the depths of your pain. And when we've empty of ourself in grief with a lost love, Jesus then fills us with his love. And let me tell you, friends, tasting the sweetness of that love, it will change you. It builds our love for the Lord and it truly strengthens our faith. So I want to close with this, with a few simple takeaways. Number one, don't avoid your problems. Don't bottle them up. Don't act like they don't exist. Acknowledge them, face them, maybe even dig back 10, 15, 30, or 50 plus years for hurts that were never healed. Number two, know this, if we, are avoid, if we avoid pain, we're avoiding progress. We need to learn to face our pain and grow and endure in it and through it and learn to find those fuel, that fuel of hope that is found in our pain. And just maybe you need to pick up the book, The Voice of the Heart, this week and begin wrestling through some of your emotions and pain. And then lastly, we can have a confidence from the gospel that number three, Jesus is able to resurrect our heart and soul. We can know that because of the gospel, he is in fact pursuing you. That if you are in Christ, he is always with you at all times, even in the midst of your pain. And so will we come to him at his medic's table and will we let him heal us? Because as we've seen today, Jesus has resurrecting power to display for us in our pain. Let's pray. God, you're good to us. Even in these these hard messages, in these hard times, God, we need these in our life to know that you're good at all times, even when things don't seem to be good around us. God, we pray for those who are fighting in deep pain right now that they would just sit and weep with Jesus and, and, and be filled with the love that you have for them? Would they find those sweet treasures that are found in the deep valley of pain? God, we love you. Uh, if there's anybody in here that has not yet trusted in Jesus, Father, would they first do that today? We need your help.